Okay, so we're going to get rocking and rolling on uh, the child training stuff here. And so we started this a couple weeks ago. We went through the first week of it. Um, Paige has some handouts if you're a fill-in-the-blank kind of person. Uh, if you Did you already give those to um, them? Okay. So anyway, uh, if you're somebody that's listening uh, to this online, I know several people are catching this later on, you can always text Paige or I, and we can get you a copy of uh, notes if we need to do that. So anyway... So we're, we're going through this child training, uh, class. We can call it a class. We can call it whatever you want to call it. But, um, really just, uh, evaluating how we as parents, uh, are raising up the children that you've allowed us to have. And so, uh, too often people look at child training like, uh, you know, it's child survival, uh, like it's, um, just, uh, get through, uh, however you want to look at it. And, uh, the problem, there's a lot of problems that go into that. And so uh, the title of the, the class as a whole or, or whatever is, uh, I titled it, The Art of Negotiating with a Terrorist. And you can go back and listen to uh, the first week if you want to know why it's titled that and, and whatnot. But uh, just kind of a play on uh, some of the things that we used to laugh about with our kids when they were young. And so uh, the outline that we're working through uh, the first week, so I know last week was uh, the day before Thanksgiving, so there was a, a family service. But the week before that, we started this, and we looked at the problem in child training. And you know, obviously, you can go back and, and catch that if you need to, but the problem in child training. Tonight, we're going to look at the false perception in child training, because uh, a lot of times, we just don't see clearly. Uh, we think we understand what's going on, but really, uh, when you... Uh, sometimes hear the hard thing, you start to realize that uh, maybe I'm just not looking at this the right way. Uh, next week, we will look at the plan we need in child training. So once we realize that there's a false perception, we need a plan to move forward. And the last week, we're going to see what child training and practice looks like, you know, just kind of some, um, I don't want to say hands-on, but uh, just some uh, real-life stories and uh, just basic uh, what child training uh, maybe discipline, maybe different types of that would look like. And so tonight we're going to look at the false perception. And so the last week we saw the problem in child training. I, I gave you three places where the problem won't be found and one where it will. And so the problem was not on God. The problem was not on the child. The problem was not on everyone else or the circumstances, but the problem was found in the parents. And so you can <clears throat> go back and get that if you want to. I did give you uh, two ground rules just to kind of play the game by. Um, we should always have ground rules no matter what we do. And uh, those just kind of uh, were basically this. Paige and I don't have anything figured out, quote unquote figured out. Um, so don't think that uh, we have the golden answer. Don't think that we uh, have the final answer. I just know what the Word of God says. Uh, we do our best and there's times that we fail. There's times that we look back and say, I wish we would have done it this way. But uh, so we don't have anything figured out. I'm assuming that uh, you wouldn't be listening to this or here uh, if you thought you had it figured out. So that's the first one. And the second one is this. My kids didn't sign up for me to teach child training or really to be a pastor in general. So uh, don't hold them to a standard that they didn't sign up for. Um, hold them to the same standard that you would hold you know, your own self uh, too. And so too often we think that, oh, that's the, the pastor's kid, that's the preacher's kid, that's the, and we hold them to a different standard. And so my kids didn't sign up for that, and uh, I give them the same grace and I, that I would give uh, anybody else's children. I expect a lot out of my kids, but at the same time, uh, they didn't sign up for this, so don't hold them to a, a standard that they didn't sign up for. So that's the only thing that I ask of as I teach through things like this, is that people don't um, really uh, put my kids under a microscope because uh, they're human. And so anyway, so okay, here's what we're going <clears> to, <throat> here's what we're going to do. We're going to step into tonight. And so uh, what we're going to talk about tonight, we saw last week that there was a, 
I say last week, two weeks ago, a definite problem in child training in the world we live in. And at the end of the day, it boils down to the fact that we as the parents, well, we're usually the problem. Uh, At the end of the day, it's usually something that we've done, we've created, we've allowed, and uh, we end up being the problem. So tonight I want to give you some insights as to why we practically are the problem and why we're not the solution. You know, we should be the ones, the adult in the room, the one that can solve the issue, that can uh, help our children grow in the way that they need to go or <clears throat> diffuse the situation. But a lot of times we're more the problem and not the solution. So uh, I want to look at the false perception in the child training. So let me just give you a, an analogy. I'm an, I'm an analogy kind of guy. I like to have something that maybe you can uh, grab a hold of and, and, and link this to. So when you go to the, the eye doctor, everybody in here who listening to this has probably been to the eye doctor at some point, right? You go uh, because you either see great or you don't see that well, you need contacts, you need glasses, you know all the different things. So you go to the eye doctor and he tells you you need glasses. It's not because that he thinks, you know what, I think that guy would look better if he had glasses on. That's not why the eye doctor prescribes glasses for you, right? Uh, no, he prescribes glasses because your eyes in their natural state cannot perceive things as they truly are or as clearly as they could be anyway. Uh, he doesn't condemn you for not being able to see clearly. He doesn't say, why can't you see? Uh, it, we're all created differently, right? Uh, he doesn't condemn you for not being able to see clearly because it's not your fault that you need glasses. But once you know that you need them and you choose not to wear them, then the consequences are on you. If you're somebody who legally, like without your glasses on, uh, or what they would would say blind, you, you can't see well enough to do the basic things like drive, right? If you're somebody who is legally blind without your glasses, uh, if you choose to go ahead and go out and drive, you're putting not only yourself at risk, but other people on the road at risk. The, the consequences will be on you. Now follow this analogy into child training. To start with, it wasn't your fault that you didn't perceive clearly that the problem what the problems were when it came to child training, right, and and teaching your kids right from wrong. But as time went on and you saw the things that made them act up and you didn't correct them or you didn't take heed to the training you were given on how each or how to teach your child, you didn't put on the glasses of the Word of God to help you see child training His way, well, now you're going to reap the consequences that come from you not wearing the glasses that you were given, you know better now. If, you, if you're someone who has uh, listened to this, if you're someone who has heard this teaching, that has read through uh, the things that we're going to read through tonight, and, and you choose to just not make the changes that you know you need to make, well, the consequences then are on you when, when you come to that. Now, I'm not a doctor by any means. I've never even played one on TV. But tonight, I am going to play the role of your child training eye doctor. I'm going to show you or maybe even prescribe you some, you know, fancy square rim glasses, right? You know, the ones that everybody wants to wear because it makes them look cool nowadays, right? Uh, and, you know, so that you have no excuse that you can't see clearly enough in the Word of God to see child training as God sees it. And you could even call these glasses, you know, some people, they're like, oh my gosh, I have to wear bifocal glasses, right? We'll call these trifocal glasses. And here's why. Uh because there's three false perceptions in child trainings that I want you to be able to see today as we move forward. So if you missed it, that was the title, uh, and I'll say it one more time and we'll get going. There's three false perceptions in child training that will leave you lost and looking for help. That's what we're going to see tonight. They will leave you lost. False perceptions that will leave you lost and looking for help. So let's pray one more time and we'll get going. Father, I love you. I pray that you would uh, just remove me uh, out of the way, uh, remove my notes. Uh, these are things that you've given me over the years, and uh, Lord, I pray that They would be your words and not mine. Um, God, the children that we have been blessed with, uh, 
are yours. Uh, and only because of what you've allowed us to do uh, that we even have uh, an opportunity to raise them up. So, Lord, I do pray that we would evaluate ourselves as parents. I pray that we would uh, have time that we sit down with uh, our spouse and and look at how we're raising these kids and that you would allow us to change if that's what we need to do so that we can uh, give you the glory and raise these kids up the way that you would want them to do. So uh, I do pray that you would just speak tonight uh, and get all the glory in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so the first false perception tonight that we're going to go into, the first false perception that goes into child training is this. We want our kids to be, quote-unquote, good. We want our kids to be good, right? That's what we're after, is we want our kids to be good. Have you ever noticed that your expectation of your kids can be what the world would call relative, right? Meaning, can change with the situations. Your, your expectations of your kids can be relative. Depending on the circumstances, you allow or disallow certain things to happen. If you're having a really good day, you're bewopping around, then you know you seem to be more lenient than you would on a bad day with your kids and the things that you would allow them to do or say or whatever else. Um, if you're at home, then maybe you allow certain things that you wouldn't allow in, at somebody else's home, right? Or at the church or whatnot. You allow different things in different places. Okay, well, that's that's everything being relative. The point I'm trying to show you is that really what you're doing by being relative in your expectations is you're tipping your hand to your child. You may ask, well, what does that, that, it, what does that mean? Well, it means that just as you have learned to assess the situation as to how quote-unquote good you want your kids to be in a situation, they also have learned the same thing, to be just good enough for that situation. The same way that you have taught yourself that, you know what, I just need my kids to be this good in this at this place, or this good at that place, or this in this place. They've learned the same thing. I only need to be this good. There is no expectation. There is no clear line of this is what the expectation is. You may ask again, well, what's the problem with this? As long as my kids know when to act, quote-unquote, good, then why should I worry about this? Well, let me give you two reasons. If they've learned when to be, quote-unquote, good, then that means they've also learned when they can be, quote-unquote, bad. The same way that they've learned to be good, they've learned when they can be bad. And the second reason that this is bad is the standard of good will always change. and will always leave your child wanting to test the boundaries to see how serious you really are. Right? Uh, so at our house, uh, I told you at the beginning I'd use a lot of examples. So at our house, uh, it's it's pretty open in the living room kitchen area. Uh, but then uh, both are all the kids' bedrooms uh, are on one side of the house. It's all, all that's on one side of the house. And so there's like a uh, a cased opening that leads to that side of the house. And Paige has always taught uh, any kids that come over. Um, or any kids that, that she watches that, uh, basically there's, there's like a transition strip where the, the flooring changes right there. And she's taught, it doesn't matter if the kid is, uh, crawling or if they are, well, we've got one that's 20, right? Or almost 20. Uh, you don't cross this line without permission. Now, obviously our kids know that's their rooms, but it doesn't matter who comes over. That's kind of like a safe zone for our kids. If they want to invite people over into that, that's fine, but uh, nobody crosses over the line. And that's just the, that's just what we do. And so it allows that part of the house to be kind of like a safe zone for our kids to be able to get away from whatever. We have a lot of people that come over for different ministry activities. Sometimes there's a lot of kids and different things, but there's, there's a line. There's like, a, we don't cross this line and we make sure that that is something that we Enforce. Uh, Paige watches uh, Jackson's little girl, uh, and she's just she just turned one not very long ago. Uh, Eleanor knows that she cannot cross the line. 
She will go to the line. She will turn around and look at you. And she knows that she's not supposed Like, it doesn't matter how old they are. They understand you don't cross because there's a clear boundary. Now, let's get to what this means, right? Uh, point number one. Most parenting is reactive. That's the opposite of proactive, in case you were wondering. Most parenting is reactive. The opposite of proactive. Instead of showing our kids where the line is to start with, from the very beginning, this is what the expectation and setting a consequence in place beforehand, we wait for the kids to cross the line. That, honestly, they don't even really know where it is. And then we react negatively to it. Well, you shouldn't have done that. Why'd you do that? This, that, and the other. You may say, well, what are you trying to tell me, Jason? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked. Point number two, the child training must be proactive. Your child training has to be something that you have planned out. It is not a knee-jerk reaction. Uh, it's not a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants. It's not a we'll-figure-it-out-as-we-go. Child training, you have to be proactive. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We used to have that wall, or that verse painted on Hallie's wall when she was little when we lived in Harrisville. Um, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It doesn't say that you should hope up your child. Well, I hope that they're really good today. I hope that they do the right thing, right? I hope that, uh, it doesn't say spank up your child. Well, I understand that some of us really want to get to the discipline part of this thing. It doesn't even say that you should educate up your child, or the world today would say positively affirm up your child. It says train up your child. Remember what we learned last week, that proper training always works with every child. I told you that. Proper training always works with every child. But this is only the case if you hold the entire statement to the fire and not just the last part. A properly trained child will follow. Not one who is left to find the line on their own. A properly trained child, no matter how young or old they are, will always know where the line is, how far I can go, what is safe, what is not safe, what is okay, what is not okay. That's the complete opposite of somebody who's just left to, well, I wonder if this is okay. I wonder if I should do that. Well, let's see if mom and dad get mad when I do that, right? That's never what you want. Point number three, no amount of discipline, and that includes spanking, can make up for a lack of training. No amount of discipline... And I don't care how it is that you go about discipline in your house. We'll look at that in a couple weeks. That includes whatever it is can make up for a lack of training. It can't be done. So since you're not really tracking with me, I don't think, let me turn to Genesis 2 and let me show you just a couple examples of what this can look like and help you understand. Genesis chapter 2, flip over there. Genesis chapter 2, we understand that God is... Uh, established in some things here at the beginning of the, of the Bible and what, what he's doing here. Uh, verses 8 and 9. Let's start there. Genesis chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. And the Lord God, so we understand he is the author of what is happening here, he planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put a man who he informed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God put every one of these trees there. He put everything in the garden that was there, he put there strategically. God didn't say, I put these certain things here, and these other things, they just kind of grew on their own, and we want to stay with God put every different tree 
the ones that were good for food, the ones that were uh, all the different things. He put every one of them there for a specific purpose. Okay, so we know that God made this exactly how he wanted it. Okay, fast forward to uh, verse 15. <clears throat> so th- there's the garden, this is going on, and the Lord God took the man, so now he's created a man, right? Uh, and, and he put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So here's your job. I want you to go to the garden and dress it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man... He didn't say, hey, if you want to. He says he commanded him. He gave him a command. He said he commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden they uh, thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Why do you think God did that? Why do you think God made this just as clear as day, right? He, 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 he was doing something here. God takes the first two people ever created and he puts them in this garden just the way that he made it. Now notice what God does though once they're in the garden. He gives them a command. He gives them a line not to cross. And he also tells them what will happen if they do. And then he allows them to what? He, he bubble boys them, right? He makes sure that they don't touch anything they're not supposed to. And he, you know, oh, don't do that, don't do that. No. He says, now you can freely eat. This is the safe zone. I've given you your command. You're free here. You can do as you please as long as you obey what I've asked you to do, right? As, as you obey what I've told you to do. There's nothing relative about what God tells Adam. He doesn't say that there's a lot of trees here that are good for you, Adam. But let me tell you something. There's one here that is going to kill you. Good luck figuring it out. That's not what he says. He says, hey, uh, I've created this exactly like I wanted it. Everything here is perfect except for this. Don't eat it. Because if you do, this is what's going to happen. There's nothing relative about that. God doesn't, God doesn't leave Adam to figure it out on his own. And let me tell you why. Point number four. God gives us clear commands and expects obedience instead of giving generalizations and expecting us to figure out goodness. Now make sure you got that, because if you miss that, you miss the biggest point of the night. God's not looking for goodness. He never has been and he never will be. He is expecting obedience. He's not looking for goodness, he's expecting obedience. So if God expects obedience from his children then why do we hope for goodness from ours? Well, I just hope my kids will be good today. I hope they do a good job at church. I hope that we can go to the grocery store and they don't make me look like a fool. I hope that, right? Why, if God commands obedience, do we hope for goodness from ours? Well, let me tell you, because we haven't trained them that obedience is the expectation. It's not their fault, it's ours. It's not our children's fault, no matter how young or old they are, that they're in the boat that they're in. We didn't give them the clear boundary. When you train a child that obedience is the expectation, then they'll soon realize that goodness is never going to be good enough. Obedience training is the missing link in link. Obedience training is the missing link in most all child training today. And without it, your training will be insufficient. If you can't train your children to be obedient, child training will never work for you. Point number five, obedience training is what is most often missed in child training. And without first training, discipline will be ineffective and insufficient. Obedience training is what is most often missed in child training. 
And without first training, discipline will be ineffective and insufficient. Training is the conditioning of the child's mind before the the crisis arises. It is the conditioning of a child's mind before the crisis arises. An athlete goes through extreme conditioning. Not only to get their body, but also their mind trained for when the game gets hard. We went to a wrestling meet last night. And I I always thought wrestling was just weird. When I was in high school, I always thought it was just odd. I'm like, why are these guys rolling around wearing not that many clothes? I always thought it was really weird. I was just who I was. But last year, uh, my oldest son wrestled, and it was really intriguing. And now this year, Brenton's doing it. And so we went to our first meet last night. These kids have more athletic endurance than any athlete that I've ever seen. But the ones that excel, they have their minds trained. Their bodies, yes, can handle it. But they know when you can physically exert your body in like every last bit of what you have for six minutes solid, like there is no slowing up, just full on, as hard as you can go for that long, there has to be some sort of mental training that allows you to work your way through that. Because if not, you just exhaust yourself. And you'll watch some kids, you're like, this kid's really strong, but he doesn't have the mind for it. And he'll go really hard, and then he just completely wears out and just falls on his face. And that's what happens. The same thing. Athletes, they train their mind. That way, when the game gets hard, they know that they can continue through. That's what we need to do with our children. We need to condition their minds that obedience is the only thing that will get them through when things get hard. You have to condition their mind that obedience is the only thing that will get them through when things get hard. Before we go any further, though, let me just make sure everybody's on the same page when it comes to obedience. Anybody who's been around Pager I for very long, they've probably heard this a bunch of times. I know anybody in, in Passpoint has heard this probably, but uh, what ex- what is obedience anyway? What exactly does it look like? What does it look like in action? Well, here's how I've always taught obedience. It was taught to me this way, and I think it's great, and I think I've, I'll just use it like this forever. But there's three parts to obedience. Obedience starts with doing it immediately. Obedience starts with doing it immediately. You don't do anything else until this is done. You tell your child, I want you to pick up your toys and put them in the place that they go, right? And they're like, okay, I got to finish what I'm doing first, or let me finish watching this first, or let me do this first. And that's not obedience. I don't care if you are going to get to it. The fact that you didn't do it immediately tells me that you're not obeying. Obedience starts immediately. Now, also put yourself in this position. God expects obedience from you. So when he says, hey, son, hey, daughter, I want you to do this. I think you should do that. Are you obeying immediately? Or is it like, let me finish what I'm doing first, God. Like, I got to finish this. Let me tie this up over here immediately. Don't do anything else until this is done. That's the first part of obedience. The next part of obedience is exactly. Follow the instructions that were given. If I said, hey, I want you to pick up your toys and put them in the, in the boxes that they go in. Okay, you may have went in there and took all the toys on the floor and shoved them all in a place. And they're not on the floor anymore. And it's like, hey, it's done. No, it's not done because it's not done as I told you to do it, right? Just because you did it doesn't mean you did it the way you were told to do it, right? This is how I want you to do it. Now, you might say, well, why is it a big deal? Because there's going to come a time in their life when 
there's a reason that they need to do it exactly like they were told. Now, I'm not talking about picking up their toys, but I might be saying like, hey, there's a reason that I told you I want you to turn this way before we turn that way when we're learning how to drive. Well, because I know what's going on here. And so you need to make sure that they understand that your word is the authority, that immediate, that obedience comes immediately and it comes exactly. And then the last part, and this is the part where a lot of people get off, and this is where a lot of Christians get off when it comes to following what God has told us to do. The last part of obedience is doing it with a good heart attitude. Doing it with a good heart attitude. That means you're doing it without murmuring or disputing. Murmur, murmur, murmur. We always have something to say, even if it's just under our breath. We always have our own thoughts on it. God said, do this. When you say, hey, I want you to go take the trash out. I don't want to take the trash out. And you're you know, giving me all the reasons why you shouldn't have to do it while you're doing it. You might as well have not done it because in my eyes what you just did was disobedience. The trash may have ended up where it needed to go, but it was disobedience the entire way. You did not have a good heart. The same way that God says, hey, I want you to do this. Oh, okay. I want You want, you want me to go watch kids on Sunday morning. You want me to go do this in ministry. You want me to go do that. Do it with a good heart because if you're doing it and murmuring the whole time, talking about how you could do it better and how if we did it this way, it would be better. And God's like, hey, that's fine. You took care of kids today, but there was no obedience happening today. What you did, uh, it was all in the flesh. That's what obedience is. So when we're talking about obedience with your kids or even in your own life, it has to be immediately, it has to be exactly, it has to be with a good heart. Flip over to Genesis chapter 6, and let's look at what this may, looks like a little bit. Genesis chapter 6. Now you guys probably know Genesis chapter 6. God tells Noah, hey, I want you to build a boat. And Noah's like, uh, okay, what's a boat? Uh, but anyway, uh, let's kind of look at what, what is happening here. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, let's start in verse 13, just kind of read through this. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now think about this for a second. You're Noah, you've got a pretty good relationship with God, you're talking with God in a different way, and God's like, hey, you know what I think? I think the world that you live in is wicked, and I'm going to kill all of them. And Noah's like, huh. Well, that's interesting. I mean, he doesn't say he says that, but I'm guessing that's what he's thinking. I, I don't, I wasn't there. Uh, and this is what God says in verse 14. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. And at this point, Noah's just like, I'm just going to kick back and listen here, because uh, what's an ark? What, I'll just listen. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shall thou make in the ark, and thou shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50, 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window shall thou make in the ark, and, uh, and a cubit shall thou finish it above, and the double, uh, and the door of the ark shall thou set uh, in the side thereof, with lower, second, and third story shall thou make it. So not only do I want you to make an ark, I want you to make a three-story ark. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth. Notice it says waters. You can do a study on that to see what that means, but uh, of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh. Wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. This is heavy. Like this is like Noah is like, you want me to do what? But verse eighteen, with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark. Notice it says come. It doesn't say you're going to go into the ark. It says you're going to come into the ark. What does that imply? God's already there. If God wasn't in the ark, he'd say, I want you to go into the ark. But he says, I want you to come into the ark, meaning 
I'm already in the ark. Anyway, just this is something that's cool in the story. But I want you to come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And of every little thing of all flesh, two of every sort shall I bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. And that shall make, uh, and, and they shall be male and female, of fowls uh, after their kind, of cattle after their kind, of creeping thing after uh, of the earth after their kind, or after his kind. Two of every sort shall come into thee and to keep them alive. And now, uh, and take thou. Unto thee of all food that is eaten, that thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. And then verse 22. Noah finally gets a chance to be like, okay, here's what I, I just have a question, right? At this point, he's just like uh, raising his hand like, okay, God, what, I, I have a question. You want me to do what? That's not what he says. Um, I'm overwhelmed. I can't do that. You should pick somebody else. No way I could do that. No. He says in verse 22, thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. One of the hardest things that God has ever asked any one person in the world to ever do, when you look at the different things that God has asked man to do over time, this has to be one of the top ten, like craziest, hardest things that God has ever asked a person to do. He didn't really ask him, he just said, do it. And Noah, from what I read, didn't blink an eye. He's just like, okay. If this is, if, okay. So you see now that if your child is trained to be obedient, then quote unquote goodness has no place in the situation. There's nothing relative about obedience. You either are or you aren't. There's nothing relative about did you do what I asked you to do? Yeah, well, I can't, no, you did or you didn't. It's black or white. There's nothing relative about it. And obedience with all, without all three, all three phases is still disobedience. So let me, before we go on, let me stop and, and take just a, a second and show you what obedience training looks like, right? Because you might be like, okay, I, I kind of hear what you're saying. I'm supposed to be doing obedience training, uh, but my kids are really little. Or you might be saying, okay, I'm supposed to be doing obedience training, but my kids are kind of old. So what is what does this look like? Okay, so I'm not just going to tell you, hey, go do this. There's nothing that like drives me more crazy about the church. I'm not talking about HBF. I mean the church in general than, than this. People stand in the place that I'm standing, and I'm guilty of this at times too, and they say, if you only did this, then things would be better. Okay, well, tell me how to do that then, right? Or if you just did that, you know, if you would just be more holy, if you would just, okay, give me... Give me a black and white. Like, how do I do it? You know, give me a tool. Give me something that I can do that. Show me. Right? And so uh, I want to make sure that I'm not just saying, hey, obedience, train your children. Now let's move on. But let me tell you what that looks like. Um, when when kids are really little, um, maybe uh, just old enough to uh, to walk or, uh, you know, really understand. Right? You understand that, like, when kids are babies, they don't understand even what you're saying. Right? They're just like, feed me, change my diaper, uh, put me to sleep. In that order. Right? Over and over again. But when they get old enough to at least understand, they don't even have to be able to talk back. And I, I mean communicate back. I'm not even talking about talking back yet. Uh, I'm talking about like, we, Paige does this thing, and, and we've done it over the time, but she does this thing called the obey game. And so basically she will give just a very basic command. And the, well, you can do this with kids all the way up till you know, they're old enough to be like, I don't want to do that anymore. Right, but uh, and you just a simple command. Hey, I want you to go over and, and pick up this ball and go put it over there. Right, something very basic. I want you to uh, go pick up your shoes 
and set them by the door. Something very basic. Like, why? Just because I told you to, right? Uh, I go, just something super basic. I want you to go take this cup and set it on the counter. Why do I have to do that? Something very simple. And it's the obey, she called it the obey game. And she played, she would play this game with our kids all the time. And the key was, hey, every single time that they would do what they were asked to do, asked to do, she would like give them praise. That was really good. You obeyed perfectly. You did exactly what you were told to do. That way they understood that when they did what they were asked to do, there was always good communication. There was always praise that came with it. There was always affirmation that came with you did the right thing. Right? But then if they didn't obey, well, they didn't come through, then you show them, you start to teach them, that's not obedience. Obedience is just doing the simple thing. And so it was fun for the kids for a while, especially when they're kind of young, because they kids love to hear that you're doing a good job. Kids love to hear that uh, that was great, right? They get a big smile on their face. They'll do it, they'll do it for, for hours sometimes. You know, okay, and because they want to hear that. You're showing them what obedience is. You obeyed perfectly. You did exactly what we were told, Right? Uh, you would even play, she, I remember when Hallie was little, um, she, and this is a long time ago now, so Hallie's in high school, but, uh, I remember when Hallie was little, and we, uh, had this little TV, uh, what do you call that thing, uh, credenza, under the TV, right? It's like basically a, a thing, a, a piece of furniture sits on the, and there would be different things on it, right? And, uh, Paige would always put something on there that Hallie really wanted, that she wasn't supposed to have. Now most parents would be like, just move the thing. But, it's a child, it's a training object. Every time that Hallie would go and touch what she wasn't supposed to, Paige would tell her, oh no, don't touch that, right? Or no touch, whatever your phrase would be, don't touch that, uh, no touch, uh, no ma'am, whatever it is, right? Uh, just don't do that. Uh, and so she would basically, oh, don't touch that, and she would go get her and just move her to something different, right? And so, okay, that, at this point you're just allowing an object to be there so that they can learn, okay, I'm not supposed to have it. But, when they start to get old enough, and now this is little kids, when they start to get old enough to go to whatever the object is, see it, and I remember Hallie doing this, she would see it, she would reach out to touch it, and she would stop. She would turn and look to see if anybody was watching her. Right? And then she would go get it. Okay, now that's when you're ready to start putting some sort of discipline with your object training. Because they have associated in their mind, I'm not supposed to have this. So much so that I need to make sure nobody sees me get what I'm not supposed to have. Okay? You, you tracking with what I'm saying? So, God did the same thing with the tree in the garden with Adam. God said, hey, I made a whole lot of really cool trees. But there's one over here you can't have. There's one over here you're not even supposed to... Don't, just don't have it. Don't eat of it. Don't do anything with it. Right? You can't have that one. God did the same thing. You shouldn't have to, talking about little kids, you shouldn't have to baby-proof your home. Your obedience training should home-proof your baby, right? If you're, now I understand there might be times when uh, you want to make sure that uh, the kid doesn't get to the cleaning supplies under the sink. But even with that, your kids should know I'm not supposed to be there, right? Proper training will prevent all of that. And you might say, you don't understand my child. Uh, you don't understand my God. I'm telling you, this works every time with every child, if you do it correctly. If you put in the work, you shouldn't have to baby-proof your home. 
And as they get older, you shouldn't have to dummy-proof your kids. Your kids shouldn't understand, I can't do that, I shouldn't do that. Not that I can't, I don't want to do that. That's not something that should be in my desires. I have been trained that that is not something that is good for me. Right? When you start young, it's so much easier. Now, go back to last week. If you're just now starting to implement this, it's going to take a while, especially if your kids are older. Right? Go back and listen to the last, the last session if you want to check, figure out how long it's going to take. So, one more thing I want to point out on this perception problem of goodness versus obedience. Because I know you're already like, why is this such a big deal? There's two points to see here. Point number six. A child that has been trained that there are clear boundaries to obey will be happier, feel safer, and act, quote-unquote, better when sticky situations arise. A child that has been trained that there are clear boundaries to obey, they'll be happier, they'll feel safer, and they will act better when a sticky situation arrives. Now, I understand we're not after our kids being better But when they understand what is okay and what's not okay, it doesn't leave them to figure it out on their own. Point number seven. When a child has been trained to obey immediately, they're less likely to debate when the situation calls for true immediate obedience. When you teach your children to obey right now, why? Because I said so. When you teach them to to obey right now and not debate, there's less likely for there to be a problem when true obedience is necessary, right? Immediate obedience. When your child is reaching for a hot iron and you say, don't touch that, you don't have time to explain because it's going to burn you, right? You don't have time to tell a child that's wanting to jump into the swimming pool without a life jacket on, don't go there. Why? Because there's a really good likelihood of you drowning. I, I don't have time to explain that, but when you teach them that your word means something and that immediate obedience is expected... It may save them one day. When your teenager is learning to drive, I'm going through this all over again, right? And there's a semi coming and they forget to yield. And you're like, don't do that. When you've trained them that obey immediately, ask questions later, it may have just saved their life and yours, right? The point here is to learn that goodness was never an expectation from God. But obedience always has been. God never said, I want you to be good. He says, I want you to obey. And it's always going to be the standard that God has for his kids. So why don't we try it with our kids? If obedience is the standard for what God has asked from us, then why wouldn't it be what we ask from our kids? That's what he wants. That's the first false perception. We want our kids to be good. Okay, well, that's that's not right. Okay, the second false perception, because we need to get moving. We want our kids to be, well, better than other kids. I want my kids to be good, but if they can't be good, here's what I want. I want them to at least be better than those other kids, right? So the false, the, the first one was we want them to be good, and reality of God wants them to be obedient. Uh, be obedient. Ephesians 6.1 says, children obey, not children be good. But anyway, uh, our next false perception is that we want our kids to be better than other kids. We would love for our kids to be obedient, right? You might be thinking, yeah, that sounds great, but you, in, in reality, we would just settle for them to simply be better than those other kids, right? It goes along with the thinking that, you know, if a bear is chasing you, I don't really have to outrun the bear. I just need to be faster than the people that are with me, Right? As long as I'm not the slowest one, then and it's the same type of thinking. I just want my kids to be better than those other kids. It's all, it's, that's not. 
As long as your kids aren't the quote-unquote problem kids, then you feel like that you're off the hook. Well, this is bad logic. Not just for you, but also for them. With this line of thinking, and you might be like, well, why would somebody think like that? I wonder the same thing, but I promise there are people that think like that. <laughs> With this line of thinking, it teaches your kids that as long as they're better than most, that they're going to be accepted. It's thinking like this that will leave them thinking, point eight. We're teaching our kids that as long as they're better than the majority, then they'll always be accepted. And this teaching will leave them lost as though saved. Well, I'm, I'm better than most people. I'm better than those wicked people. I'm better than that. That's the kind of thinking that leaves a lot of people in the world lost and not saved. They don't see that their sin is exceeding sinful. They don't see that it is them that is the problem. Put yourself in this situation. Because I know you've probably been there. And if you haven't been there, you've at least seen this. You're in a, uh, you're in a public outing. And you have expectations for your kids to follow, right? Hey, this is what I want you to do when we get there. We're not going to do this. We, we can't do that. Okay. Uh, but once you see how the other kids are acting at the same area, right? You become much more lenient. Because, well, compared to those other kids... My kids are saints, right? Uh, compared to those kids, I mean, holy smoke, we just we just got done with, with Thanksgiving, right? We all spent some time with family. Sometimes we have family that's got some kids that are crazy, running around screaming, and we're like, man, I thought we had some work on child training to do, but you know what? Turns out we're doing a pretty good job, babe, because you see them other kids? <laughs> that's, that's not a good thinking, right? Have you ever been in that situation? Here, here's my question to you. Why does the standard have to change? Why does it have to be like, well, this is what we told our kids we expect out of them, but, well, compared to, you know, their cousins or compared to those kids that, oh my gosh, you guys are fine, you're fine. It's fine. You, they're not doing exactly what we told them to do, but you know what? They're not screaming, they're not yelling, they're not running. It's fine. Why does, why does the standard have to change at all? What you're teaching your child in this situation is point nine. Obedience is only expected at certain times and in certain circumstances. That's what we teach our children for the most part. And it's, it's totally false. But we teach our children that obedience is only expected at certain times and in certain circumstances. Let me give you a real life example. I know that every one of you, and I'll just say that you've seen this happen, because nobody likes to admit when they are that person. Right? Nobody likes to admit it. But I guarantee you are this person at some point in your life. This is what conditional obedience looks like, played out in real life. This is just a scenario. Mom and dad, they're tired. It's been a long day. They're simply glad it's finally time to sit down at the end of the day. We're finally done with dinner and just turn the TV on. Just let me breathe for a minute. Oh my gosh, we've got 30 minutes and we can put these kids in bed and we can breathe, right? We've all been there. Next, their kid starts to do something that's out of line, right? Parent one, I won't say which one's mom and which one's dad. You can figure it out in your house what it looks like. Parent one tells them to stop. Hey, quit doing that. You can't do that. But nothing else. That's all they've done. A few minutes later, the child hasn't changed a bit of what they were doing, right? Still completely out of line. So parent two, well, they've got to make sure they support parent one. So they tell the child to stop, but they do it in much more stern voice. I told you, you can't do that, right? You're not going to disobey, right? You're not going to, the much more stern voice, you know, because that's really going to get through to them. This continues back and forth until what I like to call the countdown to shame begins. 
You cannot do that. If you keep doing that, I'm going to... You fill in the blank. Right? One. Two. Two and a half. Am I really going to have to get up? You know... You know when I get up, I, I'm gonna, if I get to three, I'm going to get up, right? Let me, let me just explain to you, friend, what has happened in this situation. Nobody likes to hear this. We've all seen this because we've all done this. Some of us still do this. I don't, I don't know who when I say that, but let me just explain to you what has happened in this situation. Point number ten. When a parent resorts to the countdown of shame, the child has effectively trained the parent to give them to the count of whatever before obedience is actually expected. Now, nobody likes to hear that. The reason nobody likes to hear that is because it's 100% true. What has happened in this situation, friend, is your children have trained you. Your children have learned exactly how far that they can push, exactly how far they can go. They've drawn the lines, not you. They've set the standard, not you. They run the house, not you. Nobody likes to hear it. But when a parent resorts to the countdown of shame, the child has effectively trained the parent to give them to the count of whatever it is before obedience is even expected, let alone something's done about it. Here's another point before I move on. Point number 11. Anytime you don't hold to the standard of immediate obedience and correct it when it's absent. Those two things go together. When you do not hold to the standard of immediate obedience and correct it when it is absent, you're effectively training your child to obey only when the authority is irritated. You only really need to obey when I'm mad. You only really need to obey when I raise my voice. You only really are expected to do something when I actually get up. If you don't train... Immediate obedience, your children are training you. You might be like, well, my kid's little. Or my kids are teenagers. My kids are, I'm just telling you, I, <laughs> I've, I've seen some things. Back to the point. We want our kids to be better than other kids, but what about when that expectation creeps into the family? What happens when you have different standards for different children? Right? You might say, well, you know, I've got this one kid, and, you know, he's really strong-willed. That's what you hear people say nowadays. This one, they're just really strong-willed. Where I come from, we call those disobedient kids. But anyway, you can call them strong-willed if you want. But but they're really strong-willed, so I have to give them more grace than my other kids. You've got to do what? Let me ask you something. Did your strong-willed child teach you that? That you've got to give them more grace? I'm just, I'm just asking. Because it sounds to me like their will is just simply stronger than yours. And you don't have the energy to correct it. You don't have the energy to put in to get the results that you're after. So instead, you mask it in the sense that you're masking your laziness with the sense of, oh, they're just a little more Stubborn. They're a little more strong-willed. They're a little more. Uh, they're stronger-willed than you are, because if, a me- if if obedience was expected, they wouldn't be that way. I promise. 
you might like you don't understand. I'm, you don't understand. If you train obedience in your children, it works a hundred percent of the time. But it takes a lot of work, and it takes a lot of consistency. I said it last week. If you're only fifty percent consistent, expect your children to be only fifty percent obedient, and vice versa, or whatever percentage you want to put into it. That's just how it works. When we set up double standards in our home, we're letting the adversary in. Uh, flip over to chapter the the book of James real quick. Just a couple verses here. James chapter one and verse eight. James chapter 1 and verse 8 says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Fast forward to James chapter 4 and verse 8. Uh, James 4, 8. The first one was James 1, 8. I'm sorry. James 1, 8. And then the second one is James chapter 4 and verse 8. Draw nigh unto God and he will dry not, draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and... Uh, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. There's another verse that says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Right? It, there shouldn't be a double standard. Point number 12, double standards. And here's what really happens sometimes. Dual authorities are a lot alike in the fact that all they do is bring confusion when there should be clarity. Now, nobody likes to talk about double standards, but everybody wants to talk about dual authorities. Well, if my husband would just get on the same page with me, if my wife would just get on the same page with me, or, you know, we're not married, and so they've got a different family over there, and there's different expectations, and we always want to talk about these these dual authorities, and I really can't do anything about it, and, okay, well, there's a lot of different scenarios, I understand. We can look at all the what-ifs. Let's start with, if both parents are in the home, uh, we need to start with having... A strong marriage, and a strong marriage is going to lead to strong child training if you choose to do that, okay? So, uh, that's on you. Take the steps that you need to do to be on the same page where there aren't double standards, and or there aren't dual authorities, and if you are separated for whatever reason, you can only deal, or you can only play the, the, the cards that you're dealt. Make sure that your home is just as steady Eddie, as it can be. That there is no up or down. That it is even keeled as, as it can be. Right? Because even if the other family, even if the other situation is complete chaos, your child can know that when they come to be with you, that there's peace. That there's expectation. Right? And so, we always want to look and we're like, oh, you don't understand the dual authorities. Well, guess what? Double standards and dual authorities, they're a lot alike. Because all they do is bring confusion when there should be clarity. I already know what you're thinking, so let me address it for you, right? You're thinking, if you only stood, man, if you only stood, Jason, if you only understood this one child I have, they're impossible, right? They're so different than my other kids. Well, let me just tell you something. All your kids are going to be different. They just are. They're so different than my other kids. There are plenty of examples in the Bible of siblings that are different. I don't think Cain and Abel were really all that the same, right? They were They were pretty different. Jacob and Esau, go back to the book of Genesis again. Not really that the same, a lot of difference. Joseph and his brothers, right? Oh, that dreamer, right? They they weren't really all on the same page. Mary and Martha, again, 
Not really, like over and over again. Jesus and his earthly brothers were different. Does that mean that there needs to be different standards for different kids? God forbid. The standard is obedience. The standard has to be obedience. The standard will always be obedience. And if the standard ever varies from obedience, there will be confusion. Every time. That's just what it is. Point number, point 13. No set of circumstances, people involved, or level of obedience around them will change the fact that the only standard you hold them to is simple obedience. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter who you're around. It doesn't matter uh, if it's hot or it's cold. It doesn't matter uh, any situation. No set of circumstances. No people involved. Or level of obedience around them. It doesn't matter how crazy everything, everybody else is should change the fact that the only standard that you're going to hold your kids to is simple obedience. I don't care that all the rest of the kids jumped off a bridge. Obedience said don't do that, right? I don't care that you fill in the blank. Everybody else was doing that. I don't care that everybody else was screaming. Obedience says don't do that. Obedience says we use a calm voice. Obedience says we don't touch our friends like that. Obedience says we don't, right? Simple things. It doesn't matter where the scenario is, where the, where the, it's all playing out, there needs to be ground rules. Right? Paige has three really basic rules. Paige does really well with, with young kids. Um, she just always has. And so, I mean, I don't think that I do really terrible with them, but Paige does a really good job. So we work in, uh, the Little Lambs class, right? So those are like preschoolers, right? Not quite kindergartners, right? They're old enough to go to the bathroom on their own, but really not old enough to, to talk back that much. I love that age. But anyway, uh, three basic rules when they come to class. We don't put our hands on our friends for any reason. So that just means in general, you guys are a little like germ monsters. So for the most part, let's just keep that to yourself, right? I just saw you with your hand like shoved all the way in your mouth and now you're, so we don't touch our friends. That also means if you're not touching you know, each other, we're not hitting each other. So, okay, we don't touch our friends, right? We do not run inside because if you can just keep children calm, they're really not that hard to deal with. But when they start to, just like, the, the, the energy just amps up and amps up, no, we don't run inside. Is that an inside activity or an outside activity? You always bring it back to them. Allow them to decide if what they were doing was right or wrong. Hey, are we supposed to run inside? Is that something we do inside or outside? Are you obeying or are you disobeying? You allow them to always go back to, did I do the right thing or not? Not just, what are you doing, but allow them to see it. Right? So, uh, we don't touch our friends, uh, we do not uh, run inside, and we do not raise our voice. Because there is no situation in the world, ever, unless you are physically harmed, that you should ever need to raise your voice. Right? There's just not. There is no reason for you to ever need to yell and scream. Because then you're teaching them that... When I yell and scream, I really mean what I'm saying. Okay, well, that's never going to be good for relationships ever in life. So, you know, we want to make sure that, you know, okay, we're not yelling, right? We do not raise our voice. If you can just do those three things, like I'm talking about just in, in any scenario, they don't have to be your kids. You can keep things calm. So start with basic things. Hey, you know, if you're, if you're like, I've never done any of this with any of my kids, and now you want me to, like, train obedience to my kids, and they don't even know, start with some basic things, Right? You're not going to change, right, everything in a day or a week or a month. Start with some basic things and train obedience in that. 
right, and show them that there's a standard. Okay, here's the line. Now we're going to extend the line a little bit. Not that you're trying to box them in, but you're trying to give them a safe zone, right? Some kids want to say, oh, my gosh, my parents boxed me in my whole life. Okay, well, guess what? I've got a son that's older now, and he looks back, and he's like, I can see exactly why you did what you did. I didn't really like it that much, but I totally understand why you did, why you did what you did. Right? I look around at some of these other kids that are my age. I look around at some of these other kids that are you know, younger, and I totally get it. It totally makes sense. It wasn't fun. But, man, we were, we were safe. We knew what was expected. Like, there's, there's peace in that. Train obedience. Start with the basics and then grow from there. It's always going to be easier to start when they're young. It just is. But it doesn't mean that if your kids are a little bit older that, that it's hopeless. Uh, it just means that you're going to have to be consistent. How bad do you really want obedient children? How bad do you really want peace in your home? That's what you really have to ask yourself. Because if you're just like, well, I don't really know that I really care that much. Okay, well then, I don't really know that this is for you. Because this is not going to be for somebody who's just like halfway in and halfway out. It doesn't work like that. This doesn't work in families where one parent's like, yeah, I think we should do that. And the other parent's like, no, I don't really think that's important. This works when you buy in. Right? It's kind of like having a retirement plan. right? And you know that, okay, as long as I put a little bit of money in this every week when I get paid... When I retire, there's probably a, a good chance I'm going to have some money here. But if you're like, hey, I'm going to put a little bit in this week, and then, well, next week I, I got this other thing going on, and next week well, I really want to buy something, and well, I wanted to go out tonight, and next week, and the next thing you know, you, you've put into your retirement twice out of 52 weeks, and you do that until you're 65, and you're like, okay, man, I'm ready to retire. you got like 3500 bucks in the bank. Okay, that's kind of like what it's like only doing child training sometimes. And it doesn't really leave much of a reward at the end. It's on the parent. It always is. If your child, if your children know that the standard that you're going to hold them to is the standard every time, then they're quickly going to understand your new stance. Now I understand you might be like, well, this is new for them. Okay. When they start to understand that this is the standard and that you're going to hold them to that standard every time, not just most of the time, not just when you're not tired, not just when it's convenient, but you're going to hold them to this standard every time, then they're quickly going to understand the new stance, and they're going to conform to your standards, not the other way around. And then the last point, we want our children to be good, we want our children to be better than other kids, but the last one is we want, now this one really hits home to some people, we want our children to make us look good. We want our children to make us look like we've got parenting figured out. The first false perception is we want our kids to be good. Number two is that we want our kids to be better than other kids. And now we need the third layer of your little trifocal glasses. Because we want our kids to make us look good. We have the perception that as long as our kids make us look good, make us look like good parents, then we've done our good job. Here's the problem with that thinking. Because that's what happens. Sometimes you'll go and you'll pick your kids up from, from class on Sunday morning. Oh, your, your kid is so good, right? They, they, they obey, you know, so much better than the rest of these kids. And you're like, okay, yeah, that's, I, yep. Now, were they perfect? No. Oh, okay. That, that's a problem. Here's a problem with that. Our kids see right through it. And instead of acting obedient at the right times to make us look good, here's what usually happens. They act out at just the right time to put us in the situation where we could possibly look bad. 
And so in turn, you know what we do to save face? We give them whatever they want to keep us from looking bad. Instead of them making us look good, what they've learned is, hey, if I get in just the right situation and I throw a fit or I don't conform, my parent will conform to me and I'll get what I want out of it. Right? Let me give you an example to help you follow. So there's a lot of different ways you can do this, but uh, a lot of times they see parents do this. This isn't always a bad thing, but not very often is it a good thing. Um, So you're expecting your child to, let's just use an example of, you know, something crazy like you're you're expected to bring, and this is just an example. I'm really not thinking of anybody's child when I say this, but something crazy like you're expected to, you know, have your child sit with you through a 30-minute church service, a family service of some kind, Right? Oh my gosh, you want my kid to do what? There's no way they can do that. Why? Uh, you probably haven't trained them for that, have you? Uh, you know, there's no reason that a child shouldn't be able to sit with maybe a pen and a paper or something just very simple to keep them occupied. I'm not expecting them to like take notes of a sermon when they're four, but what I'm saying is like they're not screaming, crawling around on the floor, acting all crazy like, right? And, and this is just an example all the time. So what happens? Instead of our children being able to just be obedient for just a few minutes and, you know, make me look good. Like, oh, yeah, we've got parenting figured out. They were able to sit here, right? So instead what happens is they know that, like, hey, this is a pretty, this is a situation where my mom and dad want me to be quiet. So if I'm not quiet, you know what I can get? I can get their phone with a screen in front of my face like that. Just watch. I'll be watching cartoons for you. You can get done praying, right? I can be watching cartoons for you. Can, whatever it is, they get what they want just like that. Or, you know, maybe you're in line at, at the Walmarts, right? You know, you're in line and you got the big cart full of stuff and, you know, mom's there with, you know, lots of items and she's got kids and, mom, can I have some candy? No. And so what do they do? Oh, okay, I can't have, okay. No, they throw a fit. Because why? They know that it, just to keep them quiet, just to get them to make you not look like you're a terrible parent, that's what it is. It's all about our, our, what we look like. Yes, you can have it. Just, that's fine. Over and over again, this is what happens. Your children have trained you. Right? You might be like, well, thank goodness, my kid's too young for that. They learn this very young. I've seen little kids learn that if I throw just the right fit, I can get my binky whenever I want it. I can get my whatever whenever I want it. Right? And so whatever it is, make sure it's not about you looking good. You may ask, what's the real harm in just giving my child what they want as long as it's not hurting them or somebody else? That's, I've, I've heard parents ask me that. What's it really hurting anything that they're, you know, watching a screen? I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Is that what they're doing their entire life or is this just, a, I don't, I don't know. I don't know your, your life. I don't, I don't know. I'm not here to judge anybody. So you're asking, is it really, is it really that big of a problem? Well, I mean, let's just look at a, Story real quick. I don't know that I have time to read the whole thing, but to give you an illustration of what happens when the child gets what they want all the time with no training when they're young. Flip over to Second Samuel chapter 13. Now, let me just give you a, a real quick caveat. I'm not saying that if you don't train your children, they're going to turn into what happened here uh, in this story, but I am going to tell you that without some sort of guidelines when they're young, there's no expectation when they get old. Right? Second Samuel chapter 13, let me flip over there. This is a story about one of David's sons. 
That's first Samuel. No wonder that's not right. Sorry, I'm getting there. I promise. Okay, Second Samuel chapter 13. Let me just read through a little bit of this, and then we'll we'll wrap this thing up. Because this is what happens when there's no expectations for children when they're young, all the way up through when they when they get older. And then when you try to tell them when they're older, oh no, you can't do that. Well, why? I've done whatever I wanted since I was young. Okay. Chapter one or verse one. Chapter 13, verse 1. And it came to pass after this that Absalom, this is one of David's sons, uh, the son of David had a, a fair sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And Amnon thought it was hard for him to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was uh, Jonadab, uh, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. And he said unto him, Why art thou being the king's son from lean from day to day? Wilt thou not tell me? And Amnon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. So it's like a half-sister type of thing going on here. But anyway, it's still family. It's weird, okay? Verse 5, And Jonadab said unto him, Lay thee down on thy bed, and make thyself sick. And when thy father cometh to see thee, uh, say unto him, I pray thee, let my sister Tamar come and give me meat, and dress thy meat in my sight, that I might see it, and eat at her hand. So Amnon lay down and made himself sick, and when the king was coming unto him, just like what he said it was going to happen, Amnon said unto the king, I pray thee, let Tamar, my sister, come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat uh, at her hand. Then David sent uh, home to Tamar, saying, Go down to thy brother Amnon's house and dress him meat. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, uh, and he was laid down, and she took flour and kneaded it and made cakes in the sight and did bake the cakes, and she took in a pan, uh, took a pan and poured them out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Have all men from me. And they went out every man from him, and Amnon said unto Tamar, Bring me the meat in the chamber, that I may eat of thine hand. And Tamar took cakes, which she had made, and brought them in the chamber to Amnon, her brother. Verse 11, And when she had brought them unto her to eat, he took hold of her and said unto her, Come lie with me, my sister. I think you understand what's happening here. It's not good. And she said, and she answered him, Nay, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing ought to be done in Israel. Do not thou this folly. She's like, this is not good for you. This is not good for me. This is not good for anyone. Do not do this. And I, whether shall I uh, cause my shame to go, as for thee, thou shalt be as uh, one of the fools in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, speak unto the king, for he will not withhold me from thee. If you really want this to happen, ask David. He can make it work out. You shouldn't make it happen in your way. Uh, you know, there's, there's a right way to do anything. Is what she's basically trying to say in verse 14. How be it? He would not hearken unto her voice, but being stronger than her, or being stronger than she, forced her and lay with her. And Amnon hated exceedingly so that he hated her wherewith uh, wherewith the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he had loved her and Amnon said unto her arise and be gone and she said unto him there is no cause this evil in sending me away okay so basically you see what happened here it's not good he sends her away I want to get to the end of this so we can uh, move on but verse uh, 21 okay so Absalom the older brother finds out he's not happy about it so word's getting around of what has just happened, okay? Amnon uh, did something he probably ought not do, okay? But then in verse 21, this is what I really want to get to. But when King David heard of all these things, what do you think he did? He really took care of the situation, right? There was really some discipline. There was really some, you know, hey, this is not what I've trained you since you were however old. This is not the expectation we have in our house. This is not what we do in our family. This is not how you've been raised. This is not. It says, when David heard of all these things, he was very wroth. He was mad. That sounds a lot like parents in America 
today. Their kids do something that they shouldn't have done. There's never been any training. There's never been any expectation. There's never been any... So there is no like, why did you do this? What made you think this was a good idea? Why would you have not have done this? There's never been any training. So what do they do? They're just mad. It doesn't say that he's mad at the situation. It doesn't say he's mad at himself. It doesn't say he's mad at his son. It doesn't say he's mad at the world. It just says he's wroth. He is not happy. Well, hopefully he's not happy at himself. Because expectation starts when they're young. Right now, okay, let me just tell you something very quickly. Just because you don't obedience train your children doesn't mean that they're going to turn into this story. But it doesn't mean that they're not. Just because you don't obedience train your children doesn't mean your kid's going to end up in jail, but it doesn't mean that they're not. All I'm saying is you have to start when they're young. There has to be an expectation. There has to be a standard. And when there is no standard, once they're grown, we can only be mad. Because we're simply reaping what we've sown. Once they're grown, there is no training. There is no going back and saying, well, you know, when you were young, I should have taught you this. And when you were younger, we should have done this. And, well, you know, at this point, I'm, I'm a grown man. There is no going back. All you can do is be mad. Because of what you could have done, what you should have done, what you might have done. We're simply reaping what we've sown. If you're still not picking up what I'm laying down, or you're still not getting what I'm trying to say here, let me let me give you three real life, in my own home examples of how I've seen kids from here have flipped the script on you. And not only made you not look good, but in turn have actually shown you who they really are when, when kids aren't around. Just a couple quick things. I've heard people say, my kids, they're just, they're just crazy. They're just loud. That's just the way they are. Our house is crazy. It's just the way that it is. My, my kids don't eat that. You know, there's, they only eat chicken nuggets, right? They only eat whatever it is. Like my kids only do this. They'll only, it doesn't matter. That's just the way that it is. The thing that's really funny is like, we've had several different families of kids come stay with us for weeks at a time for different reasons. Parents went out of town, maybe went on vacation, maybe went on a trip, maybe did this, that, or the other, and hey, can we watch your, yeah, we'll watch your kids. The crazy thing is all of the things that people say our kids don't do that, when you give them a standard, by day two, they'll do all of those things. They'll eat the food that they're given. Right? Not that Paige is like super mean. She's just like, hey, this is what we have for dinner tonight. This is what we're going to have. You just got to at least try it. Right? Oh, you want, no, I don't do, I don't like that. Okay, well, you can at least try it. The next thing you know, all of a sudden they're eating things they've never eaten before, right? And they're liking it. The next thing you know, like, no, your kids didn't scream the entire time. They didn't act crazy the entire time. It's, it's, it's crazy. When you just simply say, hey, this is the expectation. And you follow through with some sort of a consequence. It doesn't mean that I'm out here spanking your kids. There's different types of consequences, right? And when there's some sort of a, hey, this is the, this is the line. Don't eat of this tree, and if you do, you're going to die. Now, that's not what we told your kids. We didn't say, hey, <laughs> eat your food or you're going to die. That's not what we did, but we said, hey, this is the standard and this is the consequence, right? And when there's a firm expectation every time, oh my gosh, your kids are angels. They've got you fooled. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. Point 14, your kids have shown that they know what obedience is but that it's not expected from you on a regular basis. That's what I've learned. That in general, your kids have shown, what they know what obedience is, but that's not expected from you. Here's another thing I've seen. 
people will come over and, you know, oh, my kids don't, they don't hear me. I have to yell. They, they, I have to raise my voice. They just don't hear it, right? Oh, they just, there's so many kids around and there's so much happening and I have to raise my voice. And, um, um, no, you don't. <laughs> Your kids have you fooled. Your kids, point 15, have shown you that they know that you're not really serious until you're yelling and irritated or mad. Your kids have trained you. They know that unless you're yelling, they're not going to do anything. Are you kidding me? They're not getting up. They're watching TV. They're not getting up. They're scrolling through whatever on their phone, right? They're not going to do anything. It's not until you're yelling or you're irritated or you're mad. Okay, now we probably ought to do something. Your kids have you trained. Or here's the worst one, and I feel terrible for kids like this. People will come over to our house for whatever. Maybe it's for whatever. Maybe for dinner. Maybe for whatever. Uh, lots of, people come over for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes it's, I don't want to use any specific examples. I don't want people to think I'm talking about their kids in particular. But they'll say, uh, their kids will be doing something, and they'll be like, you can't do that. And the kid will be like, we do this at home all the time. Whether they say it or not, they're like, we do this at home. No, you can't do that. And now all of a sudden there's like extra discipline. Like they're trying to over-discipline their kids to show Paige and I that like, hey, we, we discipline our kids. And it's like, I don't, it's, I don't care. Like that's on you. You and you get to talk to God about that. What does that look like in your life? I don't know. But like all of a sudden there's this new, like I'm the authority standard and the kid is just completely mind blown. And they're just confused as all get out because they're like, we do this all the time. We run all the time. We yell all the time. We do all the, and all of a sudden it's like now we can't do this and we can't do that and they're just completely confused. And they're, I don't know what to do. You're consistently consistent. Point 16. Your kids have shown you that you are, your kids have shown that you are so inconsistent with your training at home that when you actually follow through when you're in public, that they're caught off guard and they're actually confused. You're so inconsistent at home. There really is no expectation at home. So that now when you come to church or when you come to somebody's house and it's like all of a sudden, oh yes, we're definitely going to be, you know, obedience training. They're like, what are you talking about? I don't even understand what we're doing here. Why am I in trouble? Why are you yelling? Why are we? They're just confused. What's the Bible say about your children's actions and you're looking good because of them? Well, it says something, but... Not so much about looking good per se. Let me give you a few verses and we'll be done. Proverbs twenty nine fifteen, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Proverbs 10, 1. The proverb of Solomon, A wise son make a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Proverbs seventeen twenty five. All these verses are, should be at the beginning of this point if you need them. Proverbs 17.25, a foolish son is the grief to his father and bitterness to her that bear him. Proverbs 17.21, he that beareth a fool doth it to sorrow, and the father of a fool hath no joy. Proverbs 23, 24 and 25, chapter 23, verse 24 and 25, the father of righteousness shall greatly rejoice, and he that uh, begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. The father and the mother shall be glad, and she that bear thee shall rejoice. The father, the Bible says a lot of things about your children making you look one way or another. That's on how you've trained them. So here's what's happened. Let me say this and we'll be done. Instead of your kids making you look good, you've allowed them to make you look like inconsistent, lazy fools at times who are really at the mercy of the child when inside the walls of the home. 
That's what it looks like to me. This is why I prescribed you these glasses. Because just like when you got your real glasses, now you can see things that you couldn't see before. You needed to put those glasses on for tonight so you could see how much you really were not seeing all seeing all along. Like I understand that sometimes these things are not really fun to hear, but it's like having like something on your face after you eat lunch, right? You got a little something in, on your cheek or something, and like nobody likes to hear, "Hey, you got something on your face, dude." Nobody likes to hear that. But I'd rather hear that from one person than everybody the rest of the day look at me like I'm a fool because nobody said, "Hey, just just get that stuff off your face, man." You got like you got like mustard on your face. Nobody likes to hear somebody call them out. But it's better than everybody throughout the rest of the day or the rest of who knows how long thinking, man, they are just, they look like a fool. Nobody likes to hear it. You don't really want to hear what they say, but you're glad at the end of the day because they told you because now you can address it and everybody else doesn't see it. Okay, so what do we learn and we'll be done? We want our kids to be good. We want our kids to be better than other kids. And we want our kids to make us look good. But the key point for tonight and the key thing that you need to meditate on before we come back next week is we need to train our kids to be obedient instead of hoping that they'll be good. Because obedience is God's standard. We need to train our kids to be obedient instead of hoping that they'll be good. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for just loving us. I thank you for allowing us to train up the children that you've given us in the way that they should go so that when they're old, they will not depart from it. Lord, I do pray that we are good stewards of what you've given us. Lord, some of us have one child, some of us have none, some of us have uh, a whole quiverful, as the Bible says. I pray that uh, that we're faithful with what you've given us because to whom much is given, much is required. Lord, we don't want cookie-cutter kids that all do and act the same way, but we do want kids that are obedient. Because when they're obedient, they'll know that that's your standard for them throughout their entire life. Lord, I pray that you would just allow these things to sink into our hearts and really just uh, prick us in the places that we need to hear it and just grow us in the places that we need to be grown. Lord, I pray that you would just get all the honor and the glory and that you would just send us out as lights in a dark world. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. In Christ's name, amen.